The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. We spent a lot of time talking about the Senate race in the state of Ohio, particularly on the Republican side of the ledger, hosted the candidate forum at Genoa Church, October the 26th. This is our first time bringing you uh, an interview with J.D. Vance, who is one of the candidates. And, J.D., we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having me. So when you're out and about, and I know you're out and about a lot, what are the people of Ohio telling you about what their primary concerns are as you uh, hope to get their nomination for the Republican spot on the Senate ticket through the May primary? You know, two two things I hear pretty consistently. First, people are very worried about inflation, uh, the fact that everything is getting more and more expensive, and there doesn't seem to be an obvious off-ramp for it. And, of course, I hear a ton about the southern border. Um, and, you know, it, it, the, the concerns about the border come in different forms. I think some people are just con- con- concerned generally about law and order and public safety. Others are worried about the fentanyl problem and the fact that a lot of drugs are coming across. A lot of people are dealing with sex trafficking, uh, rise of sex trafficking in their communities. And all these problems, of course, trace back to Joe Biden's failed border policies. But you know, those are the two things I hear the most about. And one of the things that's been interesting, Bruce, just, you know, I, I grew up in southwestern Ohio, spent most of my, my life in southwestern Ohio, um, is, is sort of hearing the regional differences, right? So mm-hmm. in, in southeastern Ohio, you hear a little bit more about you know, the closure of a local health care facility, about the fact that people can't get you know, access to good hospitals. Um, in, in southwestern Ohio, you hear more about people can't find workers for the jobs that are out there. And Southeastern Ohio or Northeast Ohio, you might hear more that uh, people can't find good jobs. And so it, 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 there's definitely a regional component to it. Different parts of the state are concerned about different things. But, man, inflation in the southern border definitely top of mind. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that because those are two of mine, obviously. And I feel like there's nothing I can do about either one of them, which heightens my frustration. And I wonder, as you attack the campaign and you're you're down there, Mike Gibbons, Josh Mandel, the polls say are on top, you, Jane Timken, and Matt Dolan are hovering kind of there waiting to make a move, but you have time to make a move. How do you approach making up that ground? Is it why waste my time in the cities because those are going for Democrats? Are you spending most of your time in the rural areas, or are you trying to also hit the big cities because that's where most of the people are? Yeah, you know, I mean, first of all, we we think that we're very much in the fight. And so I, I don't so much think of it as making up ground as building on what we've already done and ensuring that, you know, there are a lot of undecided voters out there. The thing that could cause us to lose it is if those undecided voters go to somebody else. Uh, but so long as they go towards our campaign, I feel very confident we're going to win. Um, you know, we're trying to spend time everywhere. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm maybe not campaigning uh, in, in downtown Cincinnati where you've got a neighborhood that's going 90-10 Democrat-Republican, mm-hmm. uh, but we're trying to go everywhere. We're trying to go to the suburbs, the exurbs. We're trying to go to the rural places. We're trying to go to the cities. And I do think that just because the, the past couple of years have been such a disaster, there are a lot of voters. I mean, uh, you know, this is one of the things we found in our own polling, but also just in talking to people. There are a lot of, of independents, people who, have, have, who, who love the Republican message but don't love the Republican leadership, who are excited about my campaign. And so, you know, we've got to get those people out and make sure they come out. But those, those people are everywhere, right? There are big cities in there and in our small towns. J.D. Vance is our guest running for the Republican nomination for Rob Portman's spot in the Senate. May primary coming up, we think. Anyway, if the Supreme Court ever lets the maps endure, which is a joke in and of itself. But, J.D., what do you think it is about your story that resonates most? You mentioned, you know, you're a Southwest Ohio guy, and obviously, you know, you wrote Hillbilly Elegy, which I think gives you identity with people who aren't economically well off. But what do you find of your message that's resonating with people as you campaign? 
think people recognize that I've actually experienced many of the problems that I'm running against. And you know, for me, this isn't abstract. This isn't just something I, I care about because I read about it in the paper. It's something that I felt very personally. You know, when all the jobs uh, left factory towns like Middletown or Youngstown, that was something that affected my family uh, in a very personal way. When the drugs moved in, that's something that affected my family in a very personal way. And so what I try to do is connect the things that we all care about as conservatives uh, to what I've actually seen on the ground and what I've you know, seen in my own family. And I think that, that that's what resonates the most about my candidacy and about the campaign that we're running. You know, the other thing I, I try to remind people is that, you know, for, for, for whatever reason, I think it's complicated, though I think Donald Trump deserves a lot of credit for it. Uh, we're increasingly the party of, of normal people in this country, right? If you, if you work hard, if you pay your taxes, you send your kids to school, you send your kids to fight in the military, like just normal, hardworking, decent people, uh, they are increasingly becoming Republicans. Um, and it used to be, you know, there were sort of working people were in the Democratic Party and they were in the Republican Party. It's like now virtually every, you know, most people who I think work for a living are becoming Republicans. And I think we should build on that, be excited about the fact that we're the party of working people in this country and try to figure out how to build on that coalition and, and really capture it for the long term. I agree with that. I, my, both my parents were factory workers. Uh, when I voted early, I voted Democrat. I, I can't vote Democrat anymore. It's a it's prism of faith through which I view life. There's no way I could ever vote for a Democrat because you can't find a pro-life one. In terms of your sure. own political journey, did you always embrace these conservative principles or was there a journey for you? And if so, what what moved you from one side of the aisle to the other? conservative sensibilities. Um, and, I, and I think that, you know, I grew up, the first political issue I ever cared about, I wrote an essay about it when I was 14 years old, was the life issue. Uh, I've always been pro-life. Um, always recognize that families are very important, that if you, you don't, you know, people want uh, to provide kids with a good life, but you can't really do that with a government check unless families and their communities are stable. Uh, so I, I've always had this conservative sensibility. I've definitely become more politically engaged in probably the past four or five years. You know, I think that, you know, there, there was a lot that happened the last four years where if you told me, um, you know, if you told me in 2014, just to take a, a random example, that the FBI would, would basically be spying on a sitting presidential candidate, mm. I would have said that's crazy. There's no way that that would happen. Uh, and yet we now know that that actually did happen. Even the New York Times will admit, uh, of course, that the FBI spied on then candidate Trump and eventually uh, President Trump. You know, the, the, the recognition that our institutions have become corrupted and that the more aligned they are with the left, the more hostile they are to the things that I care about, has just become you know a big part of my political evolution. Uh, and I've you know never voted for a Democrat. I you know I've certainly voted third party and and not been excited about the Republicans even when I was voting for them. Uh, but but feel very comfortable about where our party's going right now. Because again, I, I really do think we're becoming the party of working people in this country, uh, and we've we've got to we've got to figure out how to actually fight for them, how to serve them. That's what this campaign's all about. JD Vance is our guest, running for Senate on the Republican side of the ticket. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at JD Vance One at JD Vance One. So I think it's interesting to me. You know, when you got in the race, instantly there's a super PAC that comes after you replaying old comments about Donald Trump. I thought your answer at Genoa was the best answer you can give. I mean, tape don't lie. You said what you said, and you were asked about it, and you said, I was wrong. I made a mistake. How is that being received? Because every poll shows that Trump's endorsement would mean a ton in this race. I know you've met with him. How are people receiving your 
new position or your new view of Donald Trump and his policies because, you know, in fairness to you, when you made those comments, he hadn't governed yet. We hadn't seen what he would do as a candidate yet. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think most people, at least a lot of people, have seen me on TV the past several years defending the president, right? So they actually, they know me not as somebody who was skeptical of Donald Trump in 2015 or 2016, but as somebody maybe who was defending him in 2018 or 2019. And so I, I think a lot of it, you know, people already know who I am, and I've been very open about the fact that I was wrong about him. You know, I think a little bit of it is, yeah, they've seen the commercials, and you've got to address those things. And you know, that's really what a campaign is about. You've got to tell your story. You've got to tell what your values are. And I, I, I've always just thought, man, honesty is the best policy. Like when the facts change, you should change your mind. And so I, I think that you know we've, we've, we've definitely answered a lot of questions about those TV commercials. But I also think most voters actually know where I am and where I have been for several years. J.D. Vance, our guest. His website is jdvance.com, jdvance.com. Follow him on Twitter at jdvance. One, I see you're going to be on Tucker tonight. You think are aligned with Tucker on your view of Ukraine. You yep. got a lot of comments on a, uh, a statement you made that last week or last middle of last month. You posted it on your Twitter, so I know you're not running from it, which is like, look, I don't care about what happens in Ukraine. That viewpoint, I wonder, did you see the Zelensky speech yesterday? Did you see the video yesterday? Have you changed your position on that? If you haven't, why do you say or stick with the viewpoint that Ukraine is not a high-priority item for you? Yeah, so it's, it's pretty simple for me. So, um, look, I, I think it's one thing to feel personally sympathy for the Ukrainians, uh, for the people who are suffering from this terrible invasion, from all the things that come from it. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't begrudge anybody looking at these people and saying, look, they're brave, uh, they're admirable, and we should, be, we should be rooting for them. I think we have to separate that from the public policy question of what is in our interest as the United States of America and is it actually in our interest to further escalate a conflict that I think at the end of the day really has nothing to do with us? Uh, it's a country 6,000 miles away. Uh, Russia and Ukraine border each other in you know, sort of Eastern Europe. Uh, that's not our region of the world. I don't think that it affects any vital national security interest. And so, you know, when I see on the one hand Zelensky, admirable guy, clearly, on the other hand, he's asking us to get more and more involved in a conflict in his own country. And no, I haven't changed my mind. I think it's a very bad idea for us to do that. I think it would make our people more miserable. God forbid it could get a lot of our people killed. And I actually don't even think it would be good for peace in that region of the world. At the end of the day, uh, American policy, the past 20 years, American foreign policy, I think it's been a disaster. It's been a disaster in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Syria, in Lebanon. Uh, and what I, what I really don't want us to do is not learn the lessons of the past 20 years. You know, we have this bipartisan foreign policy blob in Washington that keeps on getting us involved in these stupid wars while, and this is important, our country falls apart. Have no American leader right now, pretty much no person in elected office um, in this country who's talking consistently about what's going on at the southern border, and yet we're so preoccupied with what's going on in Ukraine. And the way that I think about this is congressional Republicans, and, you know, of course Democrats too, but I'm talking about my own party, congressional Republicans refused to give Donald Trump $4 billion for a border wall over a four-year presidential term, they gave Joe Biden $14 billion for Ukraine in a week. Like, what does that say about our priorities as a party? And my, my big argument here is that our priorities should be at home first. If you want to help people all across the world, if you want to be a beacon of freedom and democracy, you need a strong America first. And right now our country is weak. Unless we fix that problem, we don't need to be getting involved in anything overseas. J.D. Vance, our guest, he is running for the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate. Rob Portman vacating that seat. 
JD's website is jdvance.com. His Twitter is at jdvance1. How much of your view of you know world events, foreign policy, was shaped by serving as a U.S. Marine? A lot of it. A lot of it. You know, I, I remember. So I was in the Marine Corps from 03 to 07. I went from Iraq, or I went to Iraq uh, from 05 to 06. And you know, one of the things that I did over there is I, I did. You know, we were sort of assigned to do security for Iraqi poll workers. Um, and this was this is probably you know November December of 2005, and I remember you know I, I was I was a young idealistic kid. I thought you know we're going to spread democracy across the world. We're going to turn Iraq uh, into into Germany, right? It was it was kind of like you know after World War II the Germans became our friends and we turned them into this stable democracy. That's what we're going to do in Iraq. And man, the hard reality of being over there and recognizing these people didn't want our way of life. Like they didn't want to be American style constitutional Republicans. They wanted their own country. They wanted their own culture. And every minute that we spent there, I thought was ultimately a wasted, a wasted amount of time. And so, you know, what, what, what that really formed in me was a recognition that American troops should be about protecting America's interests. If we got to kill ISIS, let's go kill ISIS. Let's not pretend we can turn what, what, what's left over into a viable constitutional republic. It just ain't true. Yeah, I think I hope we have heeded that message. It's uh, it'll be interesting to see. I just hope too much damage can't be done over the next three years. I hate to put you on the spot, but I don't know if you have your schedule in front of you, but I'm sure people in central Ohio would be interested to know when you're coming back through here or when uh, people in the outlying areas of central Ohio can uh, can hear you speak and hear more of your views. Do you have your availability in central Ohio at your fingertips that you could share with us when you're coming by here? I don't have it at my fingertips, so we always put our events up at jdvance.com. Usually we schedule them about 10 days in advance and put them on the website. You know, we did a couple town halls in central Ohio last week. I'm, I'm sure whether it's next week or the week after. Man, we're, I mean, we're, we're all around the state all the time. The campaign I'm trying to run is very grassroots driven. Uh, you know, we, we go to town halls. Uh, we, we answer as many questions as, as I can, as, as, as much as we have time for. Because I think it's important. I, I don't like this idea of running a campaign where people just seek TV commercials of your face. Like you should get out there, right? You should be forced to ask tough or answer tough questions from voters. And so we're doing that all across the state. I'm sure we'll be back in your neck of the woods soon. Well, uh, I'm looking at your site. You were in Lancaster in on uh, Thursday, March the 10th. That's the last date that I see. So get your web people going and get your new <laughs> new dates up there. That'll be what yeah. You know, that'll be the first call you make after you talk to me. It is great to catch Sounds up good. with you, and I appreciate you coming on this morning. I uh, wish you well in the campaign and hope to catch up with you again soon. All right, thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, you know you're on to something, something good, when you are a legislator in the state of Ohio and you are opposed by people in the field of academics and by people who are... Trumpeting the cause of equity, 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 not equality. Sounds like equality. Everybody's for equality, right? Well, I'm for equality of opportunity. I am not for equality of outcome. I was raised by hardworking parents, as I told J.D. Vance just now, factory working parents, parents who stood on their feet all day, worked on an assembly line, worked hard. My father taught me, so did my mom, the value of hard work. It wasn't what you got from the hard work that really made the difference. It was just working hard, just felt good. I remember him at the end of a Saturday where we had spent all day in the yard, mowing it, maybe raking it at times, trimming the hedges, edging, 
and just stand back and look and appreciate the value of hard work. I'm glad that I have those lessons ingrained in me. Uh, the academics and too many people who have positions of influence want to eradicate that work ethic from our culture. Now, where do you think our culture and our country will be if we remove the value placed upon hard work and the concept that working hard gets you things that you earn and in place of that we substitute well, you just owed things and people should give them to you and if they don't give them to you then they're oppressing you because you do those things whether you work for them or not one is a marxist idea i just described it one is a uniquely american and capitalistic idea which has built the greatest country in the history of the world. Uh, but uh, Tim Johnson takes issue with that today in an editorial in the Dispatch. Uh, Tim Johnson and a esteemed academic by the name of Ken Lee. See, the Dispatch is really doubling down on House Bill 2327. So you know it's a great bill if they're marshalling their leftist forces against it. What is House Bill 327? Well, House Bill 327 would prohibit... In Ohio schools, secondary, junior high, elementary, university, it would prohibit the teaching of divisive concepts. <gasps> divisive concepts. Like what? Oh, you mean like critical race theory? Where it is taught that if you are born of a certain ethnicity, you can't possibly get ahead because the evil white people have built-in advantages. Funny. I've been through the hilltop. I've spoken in Linden. Strikes me that there are poor people in those areas who are white. But they're all against this. And uh, they are lampooning the Ohio General Assembly because it is yet to officially declare racism a public health crisis. Good. Because it isn't. If it is, it's because people who are campaigning against House Bill 327 are the racists. Yes, those making the charge often are who they say they are.